Welcome to Talking in Stations, a show about EVE Online, a spaceship game. If you're watching us live on Twitch TV, we also have a podcast version on TalkingInStations.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a YouTube hub with videos on demand at YouTube.com slash TalkingInStations, all one word. Today we have Invasion episode number 58, and with the third and final installment of our retrospective on 2019. I'm your host, Carneros, and I'm joined by my co-host and two guests today. So let's take a moment and introduce them and let you hear, let our podcast listeners hear your voices so they get a sense of, of who's talking. First, just for fun, even though you know him, I'm going to reintroduce uh, our co-host, Mr. Elise Randolph, uh, CEO of Habitual Euthanasia, uh, a legend of Pandemic Legion, and a past member of the Council of Stellar Management. Hey, how's it going? Happy holidays, everyone. This is uh, really fun. I'm glad to glad to be back on the show after the holidays are over. Santa's gone, uh, left his left his stuff, and now I get to do uh, spaceship stuff again. Excellent. Me too. Uh, and then uh, guest today we have Dark Shines, CEO of the Fuel Cartel in the Initiative and also one of the lead FCs in the, this famed PvP alliance. Please say hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, FC in the initiative, and uh, happy to be here. And then we also have Mr. Dunk Dinkle, current member of the Council of Stellar Management and a pillar of brave newbies in the Brave Collective. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, just be sure you're wearing socks during this podcast. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today for another conversation about spaceships. Uh, today, we're going to look at um, what happened in 2019, and we, we're going to pick up again. We all we covered it a little bit last last episode. Uh, the with the war in tribute and veil of the silent. The, just to recap for a second, the Imperium came north. Uh, and engaged with the with NC Dot and the Pandemic Legion family in the regions of Tribute and Vale, uh, with the idea of having a temporary large fight and then retracting back home because no one wanted to go and live in Tribute and Vale. But wait, there's more. So Dark Shines, you were an FC in some of those battles, and you were on the side of the Imperium, which we, we didn't cover last time. We got the, the other guy's side. Uh, do, you have, uh, do you have any memories of, of that war? Yeah, um, I, I guess from our own perspective, I'll be honest, I didn't, uh, I didn't catch the last episode, so I'm not sure what the perspective was from, from PamFam, but from the Imperium side, we... Uh, um, it was kind of the first, I guess, major offensive of 2019 from Imperium, uh, going so far as to drop a keep star, an offensive keep star, into KQK um, on the border of Pure Blind and Tribute. Um, and it kind of screamed the Imperium's intent uh, towards Tribute, I guess. Um, we moved the super fleets up uh, from Delve and from Fountain. And uh, kind of the move fleets were were pretty nice to see, big 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 numbers. Um, and from there it was kind of a 
just the burn burn tribute. Um, to be fair to Pam from the uh, the numbers that we brought were quite intense. I don't think there was a lot anybody could have done. Uh, and uh, as you can see from the killboards, there was a lot of uh, a lot of structures died. Even the Mitanni was surprised at the uh, number of titans on that on that first main move up. In the back channel, he was saying, "Wow, this exceeded my high end of my estimate scale for how many might come." And uh, he was he was shocked when it got there was like a, over a thousand titans, and it was it was crazy, yeah, mind blowing. He was surprised. Yeah, I remember on our side when we caught the uh, we caught the move numbers. We we're like, "Ah, did someone? Did you like link that or paste that the thing twice? Did you just like just hit Control V twice? Did they double count it?" Uh, no, no, not at all. Just mass number of supers and titans. Yeah, it was crazy, and the like the just everything that goes into moving those. Even though the, the route was relatively blue, because it, especially from Delve, it was all the way through Fountain, which is blue, and then into Cloud Ring, uh, into the six RCQ Keep Star again, which is blue, and then up into Pure Blind. But yeah, even just the uh, the tie die titans bumping on gates. I, just the amount of effort that goes into it, especially for for FCs, I, I think people probably don't get enough props when they organize that kind of stuff because it's uh, it's uh, quite intense, and that's just for moving. Yeah, I think people don't realize it uh, at all when it the effort that comes to moving uh, a super fleet because you know that's when you're most vulnerable. You've got so many people with you, but someone's always going to be lagging behind. There's going to be one guy that like. Uh, his family's talking to him or the phone rings. And he's, so he mutes mumble for a minute. He gets lost and tries to catch up. And uh, that's that's definitely where like people are kind of looking for that straggler to drop on. So as an FC, you have to be like hyper vigilant uh, to make sure everyone's where they're supposed to be. No one's getting lost. And uh, I know from at least for PL, and I'm sure it's the same for Initiative and other uh, people in the Imperium, it is like the the least looked forward to part of a, a move up or part of a, a deployment is the move up. I think seeing the fleet gives everyone a bit of morale boost, regardless of whether it's supers or titans. But when you do a move up, when any alliance does a move up, it's uh, it's all of you know, it's it's everything they have in their main time zone, and it's always impressive for people to see each other like that. But uh, when you actually warp to the first gate and <laughs> see five titans bounce off in different directions, then the headaches start. And you guys had softened up that area as well, like initiative by yourself with um, a few other SIGs from the Imperium. You guys had done quite a bit of work in the in the Declan area, right? Uh, well, initiative had deployed up to Hakonan, which is uh, the low-sec system beside. Um, it's on the border of both um, Vale of the Silent and Tribute, and we deployed up there in February. It was a, a very mixed deployment, <laughs> but um, yeah, it kind of meant that we were already set up for when the main bulk of the Imperium moved in. I know a lot of the other SIGs in Goonswarm and other Imperium SIGs had also already been in the area in Pure Blind. Um, so kind of, yeah, hitting between Declan and Tribute and Vale, there was almost a, a very small multi-front um, uh, attacks across all three regions, I guess, on a very small scale, but attacks nonetheless. And was that like part of the plan for the, the whole deployment? Was this like, uh, we're going to go there in February and then the rest of the Imperium, depending on how it's going to go, is going to come in uh, later in the year? Or did it just kind of snowball organically? Like, hey guys, we're getting a lot of fun out here. 
you know, there's lots of room for a bigger deployment. You want to come and, uh, you know, give these guys a, a walloping. Uh, I'd love to say that there was some you know, genius master plan behind it, but um, I think uh, when we deployed or when Initiative deployed to Conan, it was uh, just because um, we had been in Fountain since basically uh, the the previous war in, in, in and around X-47, and eventually you just reach a point where there is too much crabbing uh, going on and too much drama um, internally, and you need to deploy to get rid of some of that frustration. So we deployed up to Hakonan because of that. Um, and then it actually it came as quite a surprise, I think, when uh, when Asher and Jay kind of approached us and said, hey, so we're going to drop a Keepstar here and we're deploying our super fleet north. <laughs> and we're like, okay, yeah, we can get in on that. Nice. Yeah, I know from, uh, from a lot of the PL side, at least, whenever we did something that seemed to be like, uh, we were like the tip of the spear or something for another force. It was always uh, happened kind of by accident rather than uh, a planned thing. So I'm glad that that works for, for other alliances as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I, I guess that's when people see uh, movement in one direction, more people, will, uh, more people will tend to join in. So then were there any surprises in the war to you? Things that you didn't expect to have happen? Um. Surprises, I guess, looking back, not so much. Um, uh, like I said, it was uh, it was not realistic given the numbers Imperium brought north um, for Pam Pam to put up any uh, solid form of defense. I guess kind of slightly disappointed that we didn't get any all-out Titan fights like we did in X-47 in the previous war. But uh, I really... You know, even from an Imperium FC point of view, you can't really fault them for that. It was the it was the right thing to do. Um, if there had been any major fights, I think the number of Titans that Imperium would have brought to the field would have just been uh, too much. It, it wouldn't have made sense to um, to take a, to take a fight. Um, I guess the the one thing that surprised me was um, when it, it was a few a few weeks in, I guess. Um, and the uh, Pam Pam started to move from their Keepstar and SH one, which was their their staging point, back into um, back into towards Geminid. Um I didn't realize how far the like um, hostiles would would retreat to. Again, it makes perfect sense, but it kind of just took me by surprise, and it kind of left the the both regions, both Teen, uh, not Teen, Tribute, sorry, and Vale of the Silent kind of open for just everybody to to attack and I, I think it was pretty evident i know um some of myself and some of the other nfcs were looking at uh, you know different things we could line up to shoot especially with our titans um because we unfortunately didn't get to use them a huge amount um so we kind of looked at what structures we could hit i think the first week in and um there wasn't really anything we could shoot because the skirmish FCs from Goons had done this insane job of running fleets, I guess, 24-7. Um, I think there were 75 timers, structure timers on a, on a timer board all at once. And uh, it, it was it was hard to try and find something to shoot that wasn't already in ref. Um, so, you know, that was, that was, that caught us off guard a bit. That was quite interesting. There was a kind of competition going on 
behind the scenes um, of between fleet commanders trying to uh, run as many fleet ops in the war as they could uh, and just taking out fleet after fleet after fleet tirelessly. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, and that's, um, that's like a time where you can get uh, kind of younger fleet commanders a little bit more experienced, like moving around with caps, moving around with supers, organizing stuff. Um, I, I know that's, that's a lot of uh, how Tess did it uh, at one point when they were taking over parts of Delve way back when. Uh, you know, it's just super easy to, to get people and say, hey, you take this area, I'll take this area, and you work on the organizational progress. Uh, and all that stuff. So it's a really good learning tool for these uh, FCs. And I saw our operations channel occasionally pointing out operations coming up and saying, this is great for a new FC. Let's get a new guy in here to try this one out. You know, we'll, we'll support you. We'll backseat you. We'll, you know, we'll, you know, we'll send a veteran with you to, to help you, you know? So that was great. But I also saw some, uh, you know, very experienced, very talented FCs like Apple Pair taking out tons of fleets. I think it's a good opportunity for people. Like, um, unfortunately, the 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 way Eve seems to be at the moment is that you stay in your home region and you wait for somebody to come in to attack your oracles, and then you can drop everything you have on them. Whereas when you go to a um, to someone else's region, it really allows your FCs to run riot with whatever you have and, and just have fun. Um, and it's all making progress regardless of what they do as well. So it's kind of all positives all around. So then <laughs> how, did, how did the war end, Dark? Do you remember that part? Oh, um, I think it was basically the, the Keep Stars died am i am i misremembering some major thing i i can't remember well we suddenly got uh word back home that npcs were attacking our structures and we're like what do you remember that oh, of course yeah the uh drifter invasion the drifter invasion yeah well you're you're kind of you're kind of you're kind of minimizing like when that started like when it started uh <laughs> happening uh, all of the people who do alliance and coalition level logistics like our phones and computers are just exploding with all the reports of everything getting hit and we don't know what it is like we have no idea what's going on and everyone's freaking out and it was fucking chaos and um it was a completely bonkers time unprecedented in eve online history and uh so uh, if you're a combat FC, you were probably like, oh, the logistics guys will handle that. But for the logistics people, this was fucking DEFCON zero. For, if you're not a hardcore EVE player, you might not realize this. But each of the alliances that are holding uh, sovereignty out in NullSec have all written little pieces or, or installed little pieces of software that will take an in-game alert that, oh, your structure was attacked uh, or it's out of fuel and will send a ping to you uh, on to your computer and your phone and tell you, wake up, do something, you know, and you call in a, a fleet commander to come, an FC, or you do something. So our, our phones were blowing up like crazy and uh, on all sides of the map. Yeah, P.O., we were really happy. We were just like, oh, we lost all our structures already, so there's nothing for us to, to, to defend from these drifters. So we just took a break and had some fun 
uh, going through wormholes and like poking things where the drifters were attacking and uh, trying to see what movement we can get. But yeah, like I think one of our structures got hit because we had lost so many in uh, Tribute and Tino and that entire area. Well, the thing, the, the thing was is that at the time, nobody knew what was going on at all. And I still don't think we really know what went on. But uh, basically, you're trying to figure out, like, how do you defend against these things? So people are in real time trying to invent strategies. What do you use? And then a bunch of the, the – they were very tough NPCs. So people were losing all kinds of expensive things to these NPCs while they're trying to figure out the strategy in real time. And um, it was extremely chaotic. Um and we had no idea how long it was going to go and what, what was the victory condition and all of these things. Um, I think then what it led to was a lot of frustration. Um, and that, I think, led to the creation of the, uh, quote, null first uh, Discord chat, which, um, you know, many have said has changed the game. Yeah, yeah. That, I remember people trying things. And I think there was a rumor that Elo Knight tried to tighten to on one of them and almost lost the darn thing had to had to go safe up but uh people were trying stuff uh and and then it led to this whole wave of go around to every structure and check the fit and make sure it has plenty of bombs and make sure that the that there are enough people that have gunning rights and and those before those drifters invaded uh the okay, each structure has a little gun turret and one person can get in it and control the structure as if it were a ship and can shoot someone. Uh, and it won't do anything unless there's someone sitting in that gunning turret. Uh, well, in those days, it, there would only be a small handful of people that could get in that turret because of roles and permissions and espionage and that stuff in EVE. They went through and changed that. And now there are hundreds of people in... in, in the uh, Imperium space that have gunning rights and can go sit in those citadels and shoot if necessary. But there was a lot of work that was needed to be done by uh, people crafting strategies, by people building and bringing around structure fittings and ammunition, by people trying to figure out how we're going to fix the uh, access lists to allow permissions for and who to allow in. There was a lot going on. It was crazy. I think uh, actually, now that you say it, the I think Inid had had moved its super fleet back ahead of um, Imperium at the end of that war to try and avoid all the tie dye, and we had just landed back in uh, IGE uh, in Fountain when those attacks hit. And unfortunately, I wasn't as brave as Elo. I did not want to be the first uh, person to lose a Titan to Drifter Rats. Uh, so I think we, you know, took out a Badens and. All these different things to try and avoid them and it was kind of interesting though because it was unknown it was absolutely frustrating and a lot of people you know, it caused a lot of headaches but it was also interesting because it was something that was unknown in eve that you had to you know put a bit of effort into to thinking about and uh i think in the end we just used titans and interceptors because like someone in such uh, chat said we you couldn't probe them so you had to uh you burn after them with interceptors when they pinged and then try warp titans in on top of them to kill them. At least that was the quickest way we found of doing it. Yeah, EVE players uh, seem to love and hate the unknown both at the same time. So they love the idea of like some unknown things happening, but they kind of like to have uh, an inclination about what's going to happen, how long it's going to be there for, just just some key details, right? 
Um, so a lot of people that weren't in NullSec, I know their attitude was, oh, hey, this is really cool. Like, I, I love that CCP are doing this thing because they're adding uh, elements of danger and unknown. And it's always funny when, like, especially your enemies have to get hamstrung by, uh, like, NPCs or some new mechanic that you're not sure about. Uh, so, like, a lot of people in low sec and high sec or people that didn't even own Sov were, like, sitting there saying, oh, this is so good. This is so good. And I remember I was in some Discord channel, in Bill, or Discord channel, and Billy was just losing his mind at how uh, this whole thing was playing out. He was so mad. But his buddy Ron USMC was really enjoying it. <laughs> Probably. He, he ended up enjoying those fighting those guys. Although the, it would have been more fun if they had uh, better loot drops. Well, I, I think the thing is, in Eve, people. Players like to find the pattern in things and find the, you know, craft a strategy of how does this work? So you see it with incursions, you see it with the uh, Troy Glavian stuff. You see it with a lot of things in which people want to figure out how do you shipyards. do this? Like the Satoyos, shipyards, all those things. They want to figure out how do you do that? How do you reach that victory condition? And the most frustrating thing about this Drifter event was that was indiscernible because it didn't exist. And so people kept trying to gather information, and if we get enough information, we'll know how to stop these and how do we get them out of our system and not coming back. And that was basically impossible. And I think that is what drove a lot of the people trying to defend against this crazy. It was, it was a, a thing in the game. There was no way you could organize or prepare or do anything um, that you could kind of close this off, right? It was just a constant every 15 minutes something else was getting attacked. I think that's what frustrated people, not so much that there was a challenge, that there was no solution to the puzzle at all. Yeah, and that's very EVE-like as well. Like uh, EVE Online, they always, there's, maybe they don't describe exactly what the perfect min-max situation is, but there there usually is. And that's, as Dunk was saying, that's something that the players really like to do. It reminds me a lot of, uh, if you guys have played the game Factorio, um, there's a lot of ways you could make your little factory, but the people that min-max to the extreme and make it super organized and go to the end game on that, they seem to also have a really good time in EVE Online. Like there's a, there's a really good uh, Venn diagram overlap for that. But uh, Dunk Dinkle briefly mentioned the Null First channel, which I, I want to touch on just a little bit more. So imagine a chat channel in Discord with such famous names in it as Headliner from Pandemic Legion, Vince Draken from Northern Coalition Dot, uh, Villy from Test, and Sort Dragon from Dead Coalition, Elo Knight, Gobbins from The Horde, all just Aerith, some, some really, you know, big names in this channel together, all, uh, we'll say, kibitzing with each other on how to, how to deal with the... Uh, the latest crazy thing from CCP. Well, I think besides just it being kind of infamous people in Eve, the, the key thing was <clears throat> in the past, you kind of talked to your friends and grudgingly talked to your enemies. And you didn't really have a lot of personal relationships with the person you had painted as the villain in whatever war you were running there. So um, this was the first time that people were all together that kind of ran the overall donut meta all in the same place and got to know each other in some way and, and for once had a common enemy of these drifters. And so it broke down a lot of the kind of social barriers in which people would say, well, this person's an asshole, I don't deal with them. And then they were chatting with them about a common problem and they said, hey, that person's not such an asshole anymore. 
And, um, you know, I think that was a very different thing that has been talked about is that now there is a place based on this Drifter event where the, quote, leaders of NullSec can get together and discuss things in a way that um, didn't really occur for the past 15 years or whatever it is. Maybe at least there was another time, but I don't remember anything close to this kind of null first. There might have been Jabalon or whatever it was, but this felt very different um, and changed some of the personal dynamics, I mean, um, of the game. Yeah, you uh, you hinted at the thing after like the the first Delbor, there was a a channel called Jabberlon Five, which was like uh, it was run by uh, Goonswarm at the time, and they had all the FCs from all the people they had worked with, and even some that they had worked against, uh, and that kind of stuck together for a while. And then um, Sword had a Discord channel, which was the Blue Donut, which had a, a few like similar type of high level names, but you know this was uh, another example of you know players. Uh, even coming together with their enemies and saying, hey, how do we solve this? And you listed a lot of people that are also on the CSM. So there's this, you know, there's this fake notion, there's this fallacy that people on the CSM know what's going to come in EVE Online and they have kind of like uh, they like alliances and blocks put people on the CSM to get an advantage. Um, but that's absolutely not the case, obviously. Uh, a, that makes no sense. Uh, and B, like in this case, these CSM members, like you got, you were on the CSM, you had no idea this was coming. You had no way to prepare for it. And you just had, you were just like everyone else. Yeah, it was kind of crazy that first month of the CSM 14, because um, we got elected in Toronto in I think June or whatever. And we didn't really get read in and part of the NDAs and all that stuff until like the end of June or early July. And that's right when the drifters and blackout and everything was kicking off. And so there's five of us brand new to the CSM saying, is this how it always is? Is this, is this just how it's going to be? And then the older CSM are just losing their goddamn minds all the time, every, every minute. And um, yes. And if you've ever met Aerith or talked to Aerith in person, he's a person who goes from zero to like 5 million miles an hour over things. So it was very interesting to try and kind of get the lay of the land from some of these frustrated uh, veteran CSM members at the time. It was, it was a really bonkers time. So, so with the uh, arrival of the Drifter invaders, the Imperium pulled forces back to, to Delve uh, and Fountain. And then we saw, you know, NC Dot and PanFam had all already moved across uh, the map um, regions away. Uh, and so Vale of the Silent and Tribute were kind of left as a vacuum. There was no, there was no one in charge of the area. There was no one, uh, uh, there were no, uh, the, I mean, the Keepstar that we used to invade was still there. But in general, it was a, a desert. And then something happened. Uh, some, some smaller groups came in and took some space. Um, uh, took a little space. They didn't try to take the whole uh, uh, regions. They just took a little chunk, each for themselves. And we see folks moving into tribute like Trigger Happy, Rote Capel, Hazardous Company, Unspoken Alliance. And folks moving next door into Vale like the Reverberation Project, um, you're dunked, divinity, and and the charmingly named scum lords. Uh, so that that um, they made themselves a sort of 
uh, I don't know, balkanized uh, territory of small independent states who sometimes worked with each other and sometimes didn't, uh, and and provided a lot of active PvP in at a smaller scale with less uh, reliance on super capitals. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I'd say so. We actually we had a, a great show with them, uh, with a few people uh, from the, they called themselves the Tribute Fight, Fight Club uh, when they moved to Tribute. Uh, even though they moved into, as, as Cornell was saying, they moved into other areas in the North as well. Uh, but they referred to themselves collectively as, as the Tribute Fight Club. Um, and we actually had a few of them on, like, what do they like? What do they dislike? What do they do? And kind of the MO was, hey, we fight each other. We know we're not, like, trying to take space from one another because we want the good times to keep rolling. So we're just going to do small fights. And then whenever, like, a bigger fish comes in, we kind of have this unspoken agreement where we'll work together to kind of shove them out. Um, and so every one of the big players was kind of looking at this, saying, hey, this is this is a fun little thing that's happening in this vacuum. Um, because, eight. Hey, Tribute's fantastic space, uh, right? So it doesn't have like great true sec or anything, but it's uh, got little pockets that do. Uh, it's got some good moons to harvest. Uh, it's great and close to Jita, so it's easy for logistics. So you can make money in there and hop it out to Jita and import stuff that you can't make locally. Uh, so it's really easy for a small to middle alliance to succeed in that area. And what we saw them, they were just like constantly fighting one another, uh, having a lot of fun getting, you know, maybe... Uh, like siphoning off disillusioned members from like larger blocks who are tired of like the the big fleet uh, organized fleet combat. They want a little bit more roaming content, a little bit more small gang stuff. We saw them slowly starting to flock to these groups. And then uh, one of the next things that happened uh, was that the the Vexer Navy issue of a, a, a very well adopted ship. Uh, Cruiser class, sort of in the middle of the training schedule, not too hard to get into for a newer character or an alt. Um, uh, the Vexter Navy issue got its roles completely redone. Most people sort of saw it as a nerf, or it was sort of presented uh, initially at, when before it was done as a nerf incoming. But it was actually sort of a complete redesign of the ship to a different purpose from from PVE to sort of small gang PVP is my interpretation of it. Yeah, pretty much. Went from mostly a, a, a just a drone platform to sort of a drone turret platform. No, I mean, look, this isn't some subtle like balancing act. This is the VNI, the Vexor Navy issue, was the a, a primary AFK riding ship. Uh, players would get into this VNI. They'd, I don't know, what is it, orbit at 50K with your afterburner on or whatever you do, and you let your drones run, and you're basically making ISK while you're watching Netflix on the screen. You might have three or four accounts doing this VNI ratting at the time, right? Players would do that who were at their computer, but also a lot of people who ran bots would use the VNI because it was so simple to script and execute and run. So you had both what's called low attention players, just kind of AFK ratting, and you would have bots doing ratting because the VNI was such a powerful uh, platform for not paying attention to EVE. And so I think that the game needed people to pay attention. If you're going to be making money in EVE, you should be in some ways paying attention. And so I think the change from the VNI was meant to disincentivize you from AFK ratting and make it into a combat ship where you go blow other ships up. So um, that was the goal, I think. And then the design followed, which was 
let's make it so that this ship still has value um, and is used in fleets, unlike the Nighthawk, but um, but is not able to be used as this AFK ratting boat. Now, there's alternatives to the VNI, but definitely that was the design goal. Yeah, and so uh, essentially, just like Dunk was saying, like uh, the idea behind this was uh, you just orbit with an oversized afterburner. Uh, you orbit, drop your drones, orbit, and then the NPCs can't attack you uh, because you're moving. You're too small a target, moving too fast, and your drones end up wiping them out. So you can uh, use this to make some ISK if you're an alpha character, or if you're an omega and you just have a few alphas that you want to run. Uh, you can also use it to prop up your ADMs without paying much attention or risking all that much. You're talking the whole is cheap. The whole setup is super cheap to run. So alliances were using this to prop up ADMs in areas that they didn't necessarily live, but they wanted as a buffer. So, you know, it, it was kind of a, a crummy thing. I was uh, They announced it at, I believe, Eve North in Toronto, and I got to speak to Sisui Fazi about it. And he was like, yeah, we know that this has been a problem for a long time. Like, there's various aspects to it. And we don't like any of the aspects, right? So uh, bots use it for nefarious reasons because it's easy to code, like Dunk was saying. Uh, and players do it to do AFK ratting. So they decided to uh, completely change it. I asked him if it was a nerf. He was like, no, it actually is going to be a fun ship to fly. Uh, like I can envision he, he Fozzie is super passionate about the game, right? So he immediately went into some fits that he would use uh, the VNI for and, and different uh, like small gang fights he'd use it for. Uh, but yeah, so it got replaced by kind of bigger ships, more expensive ships, and slower ships, which are easier to catch, uh, and you know you can punish them a little bit more. Yeah, the people in chat are bringing up. There's other other ships. People are still kind of being AFK in, and absolutely. But I think by far the most dominant thing was this VNI AFK ratting, and I think they tried to take a swipe at that. And um, you know they're going to continue to try and make it. If you're playing Eve, you should be there playing Eve and not be so AFK about it. So, um, you know, players are always going to min-max and find whether it's the Myrmidon or the Dominix or whatever it is to do this kind of thing. They're going to keep trying. But I think that was the whole point of the VNI was to kind of make a little more public a statement of not only are we going to try and ban botters because of the uh, we caught them botting, but also we're going to change it and make it not so profitable to be AFK. They had another design goal, too, of the economy and trying to uh, make it stronger and healthier. It had gotten kind of, uh, we'll just say flabby, but uh, they they wanted to tighten up on the economy. And just this one change to the VNI, to one ship, uh, had reverberations in the economy that did a lot for the health of it. Although it it's hard to separate it just out by itself because the botting aspect of it getting attacked and cleaned up also had a massive attack uh, effect at the same time on the economy. Yeah, this is kind of the era where CCP is uh, getting a little bit more, uh, I guess, hands-on in how they want to deal with uh, what they view to be uh, an economy that's just a, a little bit out of whack. Uh, so you see, like, this is like one of the first steps. And it also appears to be, and obviously we have, we have very little insight, and this is a lot of speculation, uh, but it seems to be the start of a new priority at CCP to like really start turning the screws to botters uh, and people that are you know having a nefarious uh, role in the game and are kind of trying to break the game and, and use it for the purposes that uh, it wasn't meant for. Obviously, the war on botting is a constant war that, that CCP never gives up on, but it does feel like this is the time where 
uh, there's a little bit more attention that's been paid to it. Yeah, I think bonding's part of it, but also, you know, as as we heard through the summer at different events, you know, CCP's focus and Hillmar specifically, his focus has been on, as he views it, the core infrastructure of the game, meaning the economy, how people play, the challenges and all that kind of stuff. And so when you talk about the economy change, the VNI ratting is just a small part of it. I mean, um, you know, um, I've had the, the opportunity to talk with Hilmar several times about this stuff, and he's not so much like, um, you know, how do we rebalance the Nighthawk or something like that? He's like, how do we get the economy? How do we make the core parts of the game work? And so you see things like the 64-bit client coming out this year, and you see other like fundamental changes to the way the game plays coming out. And then the focus on the economy and like, is it in balance or are people rewarded the right ways and all that kind of stuff. And so I think they took with the, you know, the chaos stuff was a lot of big swings, like what uh, we Americans would call, you know, attempting to hit the grand slam in the ninth inning. Um, that didn't always go the way they wanted, but they were attempts to kind of like, can we shake, shake some of these foundational things to realign the core economy of the game? Um, the VNI was just part of it, but there's a, a much bigger focus now on trying to make it um, uh, more in line with their vision of a, a, a harsher, a harsher world than it had been in the last few years. And the boy, did they succeed in what they were in some things that they were trying to do? Maybe a little bit too successful uh, in kind of evening out the economy and making sure the uh, the faucets aren't as as, <laughs> as turned on as they might have been once. Because uh, this segues quite nicely into another change that seems to be introduced uh, around this area just after that is uh, the blackout, the NullSec blackout, which uh, you probably heard about in some capacity or experienced. Uh, it's where it seems to be just took uh, local in NullSec and uh, they're just like, yeah, we're turning it off. Uh, we're going to turn it into delayed mode, which is similar to what it's like in wormhole space. So you're not showing up in local unless you speak. Which was shocking. They gave us a little warning. They gave us like a week of warning, something like that. It's great to see uh, CCP make those changes and to, you know to be active in them, regardless of whether they're good or bad. At least they're trying something. But uh, yeah, that was a uh, was a bit intense as well. What was the reaction from your people, Dark? Um, we had Pandorelica on one side, who was uh, doing like a rain dance of joy. And then we had everyone else on the other side kind of uh, a bit skeptical about how it would affect things for them on, a, on an individual level. Um, if you were roaming or if you were kind of aggressively hunting people, uh, then it was fantastic because it made your job so much easier. It's uh, very hard for Oracles to go safe if they don't know anyone is in local with them. But uh, I think equally it made things... On the flip side, it made things a lot harder for, for people to do anything in NullSec apart from PvP. So if you have uh, if you have accounts that you have to plex, uh, you know, a lot of people do. If you've uh, ships you need to buy, doctrine ships, you have to make ISK for that. And I think in uh, during Blackout, it was basically impossible to have a reliable income. Uh, there was a higher chance of you losing your ship and losing money from that than actually... Uh, Making any making any isk for it. Yeah, I think there were a lot of unintended side effects to it. I mean, I think the the idea of it is very interesting, but what you saw in the the numbers and the way the players reacted to it, especially uh, 
newer players, players without a lot of experiences, they just found themselves especially um, frozen out of a lot of the simpler money-making activities they were used to, the simple ratting, the exploration. People really had a, a tough time with this. And a lot of the groups that were kind of the, uh, quote, collateral damage, um, not just, you know, Rorqual mining and stuff that was kind of, you know, hated on the the Reddit and, the, you know, the people's focus of, like, too many Rorquals. There was a lot of people weren't able to play Eve, even in the simplest ways that aren't really a problem. And I think that's what was not as, ex- well, it, it, it surprised me, I'll just leave it at that, about how much it affected the smaller player, the player without a lot of investment in the game. And I think we saw the drop-off in participation because of that. I think um, when, it, when it first hit, um, the feedback immediately from a lot of people was that you know, Eve is now impossible. I'm, I'm not doing anything anymore in Nullsec, at least from, uh, I think, a majority of line members in Nullsec alliances, or at least our own alliance. Uh, and I, I kind of, I was semi-inactive at the time, um, but I came back and kind of said, like, ah, oh, you're all wrong. If you just organize a little bit and do stuff in groups, you'll be fine. And then I remember running one or two fleets and... Uh, those fleets going sideways because five bombers decloak on your oracles and then suddenly you're losing excavators left, right, and center. Um, to the extent that a week later, I was kind of like, you know, screw this. And uh, I brought my corp at the time into Iridia and took all of LSH's R64s because it was easier to uh, to make money that way than it was to live in Nultec, basically. So running missions in Losec and... Uh, and mining R64s was uh, was the best way that I found to make ISK. And I'd consider myself quite a capable player. But when you've got things like um, uh, bombing groups just running around, hitting your excavators and stuff, it's it's you can counter it to an extent, but uh, not all the time. And when you mess up, it's very costly. Yeah, the counterplay is disproportionate to uh, what you get out of it. Um, but yeah, as Dunk was saying, like obviously Dunk from Brave Newbies, he gets... A lot of insight from uh, some newer players as well as older players. Brave Newbies is an old alliance now, um, but a lot of the a lot of people that were doing exploration of all things, you would think exploration would be safe, but oh no no, everyone everyone and their mom was out in a cloaky loki or something, just waiting for you to go to a thing and just blap, you're dead. No no way to to get around it. I did. I'd like to point out that in addition to the game changes and the player behavior changes. There was another level going on, which was the messaging from CCP at this time. And one of the messages coming through is, we're mostly focused on the new player experience right now. We're working really hard on bringing new players in. Lots of players are coming to the game every every week. And we'd like to make them uh, welcome, onboarded well, uh, ensconced in the game, and playing with you guys. Um, if with the semi unspoken message that if you old people don't like the changes coming to the game, that's fine. We've got the new people coming in to take your place. That was how some of the really well established PVE players in Nullsec were interpreting CCP's messages. So here's a here's a riskier environment with no additional reward to compensate for that risk. Uh, and uh, a, a lot of people interpreted that as this is not a great time for me to undock at all, and they didn't. Yeah, they they certainly did not. Um, 
But like like we were saying, it was a, and, and like Dark Shine was saying, it was a really interesting idea. Uh, and it's kind of great to see CCP do big ideas like that. Uh, but the just the you know the knockoff effect was a little bit too too grim. And as Carnaros was saying, the messaging, just the way it, just the way it was phrased, like people read into it. It wasn't even necessarily the messaging entirely, but the way people read into it, uh, and they didn't hear anything to the contrary. They were like, "Oh well, we're not wanted here. Let's go. Let's go play WoW or play some other game." Oh yeah, that was unfortunate timing. It's a very dangerous message to interpret as well because. Um, Again, I, I don't know how many people realize this, but um, Rorqual, a lot of people complain about Rorquals, and obviously Blackhead had a serious effect on Rorquals, you know, as well as everything else. But Rorquals mainly because it's the, it's probably one of, the, probably the biggest way people make isk in the game. And love it or hate it, uh, Rorquals are fight generators. And CCP removed basically every other fight generator that there is in the game. For example, passive income or 64s were hugely fought over. Like you would, you would throw billions and billions and billions in dreads and you know anything to to take fights to win these R 64s. People don't do that anymore. Uh, over the new structures, it's all about rorquals. So you can complain about them all you want uh, if you don't like them. But uh, it's what everybody looks for when they're trying to get a fight. If you tackle a Rorqual, you're 90% guaranteed you're going to get a response. And um, uh, with Blackout, Rorqual's docked up. They didn't do anything. So now you have hugely depleted uh, you know, chances for, 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 for big fights in EVE because the Rorquals aren't there. Sure, you, you, know, you can fight a 20-man roaming gang, and you know that's awesome. But... Um, that's only for 20 people. You, you, you can't run an alliance uh, PvP activity off 20-man roaming fleets. So um, without the Oracles and without people like Titans, Supers, you know, all these things that, that should be at ratting and you know, making ISK in space, they weren't there. And the chance of catching them obviously disappeared with that, which was not good for anybody. That's yeah, a very interesting way to put it. Like If the Oracles are left unchecked, which kind of happened in Delve for about a year, uh, they are just is printing machines, right? Um, but when you took like uh, when you look at them in the sense that they are content generators, like active content content generators, um, then you know they're like you were saying they are, they can be a force for good if there are uh, the hunters out there to kind of catch them. Absolutely, it's a balancing act, and uh, I think even just if you look at Blackout, it went from uh, being completely safe. Uh, mostly uh with having intel true local then it just completely swung to the other side where it's absolutely not safe to do anything because you can't see anything so if they could find the balance in between there same with the oracles and same with everything else if if it could just be balanced out a bit better then uh eve would be in a much better place but in instead of going to a, a third setting they actually just turned off the nullsec blackout and went back to the previous uh, NullSec local system. Uh, and then they made another big change, which was uh, the Sinosuro fields became completely changed. And that had a huge in impact too. Uh, it, they went from pretty much almost any ship can fit a Sino <laughs> to, uh, to only 
basically force recons and black ops battleships, and no one really uses the black ops battleships for that, or very little. So it's basically came down to the Falcon, Razu, Pilgrim, and Rapier as their four ships for Sinos. That was crazy. Yeah, that was a huge change, right? Because before, um, you know, if you caught somebody riding in a belt, uh, they just light a Sino in the Umbrella Fleet. Uh, which is like the standing supers that are just chilling, waiting for bad guys. They just come in, save the day, woof, you're done. Um, but now, you know, uh, you need to have, you can't just fit a sign onto your ship. You have to either have an alt on standby or they have to jump to a beacon, which can then be dragged off. So it adds a lot more granularity. But, you know, there's always two sides to it, right? So um, industrial ships used uh, sign on ships quite, or used uh, jump freighters and signos. Uh, extensively to get things done. So it didn't only affect the PVPers, it affected the logistics guys. Dunk, what what kind of what was your take on the the Sino change? Like how did you guys adapt Dunk, to it? Dunk's a famous logistics guy, among other things. Go ahead, sir. Well I think uh, you know I think uh Sino changes are good. I think um the first iteration of design was a bit too dramatic. And it started to make it very tough for um, the basic infrastructure of EVE to work to move jump freighters around if every time you were undocking, you know, 300 to 400 mil uh, Sino ships. So they tried to address that in the design. But um, again, they're, they're trying to spur conflict in EVE. They're trying to spur wrecks and explosions and all that kind of stuff. And I think they've achieved some of that. Um, the concern that people who do a lot of logistics was is it created what we would call weaponized inconvenience. So the people who weren't the problem, which was jump freighter people moving their stuff around, um, they're they're getting impacted by this change that hopefully is going to uh, create more more conflict and stuff like that. So um, uh, the industrial sino is a, a good middle ground with it. Um, it's not perfect. Um, but um, I, I think it did uh, a lot of the frustration for people who do kind of infrastructure level logistics was now you needed to train all of these Sino alts a dramatic amount of skill points up to be able to fly um, the force recons when needed to light capital Sinos as opposed to industrial Sinos. So um, those of us that kind of support our groups in those ways were suddenly faced with this challenge of, do I skill inject to it? Do I train it up and have limited resources? How do I move these things around? So a little bit of reinvention, which isn't bad, but it can feel for a lot of people that do that kind of work that there's no benefit, that it's simply another weight they have to carry with no benefit to them, which is never a fun thing for people playing a video game. Were fleet commanders affected by the Sino changes with their ability to uh, use capital ships in in fleet ops Dark. um i think uh yeah i mean every everybody who has any interactions with sinos were affected but i think it added an extra layer of uh something else that you had to plan for for fcs whereas before you you know i know if you're fcing supers previous to the changes for example every apostle every supercarrier every titan they all had a sino fit um, so if anything went wrong, if, if one guy got left behind, all you had to do was let Sino and, you know, you could jump back to him or you could get support onto him. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, if you need to Sino in somewhere, you know, you could warp in a, a T3 that's heavily tanked um, and let Sino on grid, 
jump in and all your subcaps land before the Sino dies. You know, FC is happy, fleet on grid, and uh, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, it, there's just a, an extra level of preparation has to go in for FCs, and you have to have, it's not okay to just have one Sino. You have to have multiple Sinos, which means that people now have to bring multiple alts, whereas before they didn't. They may have had an alt scouting or maybe an alt that they had in a in a triage or a titan or you know something else, whereas now people, like you have to bring uh, a lot of uh, Sino alts to fleets to make sure that you aren't at a disadvantage because if you run out of Sino alts and you want to escalate to you know caps or bring in reinforcements, then uh, you know if you, if you lose all your Sino ships, and bad things will happen, kind of like what happened with the um, the Imperium dread bomb on uh, was it oh, the Locust Death? Fleet. The yeah, exactly. Um, basically, the downfall there was they didn't have Sinos ready the way they should have. So um, yeah, I mean, it had a major impact. Another thing is uh, just getting into the system for the fight, right? So if you wanted to bring capitals to a flight or a fight. Um, you get one kind of tanked ship, bring it in. You could just get just worry about getting one carrier in, right? So the FC could just uh, bring kind of a durable ship, light the Sino, jump his ship in because he knows exactly when it's going to go up, uh, and he can load perfectly fine, and then light the Sino on that carrier um, for the rest of the uh, the Armada to come in. Now it's uh, to do it safe. You have to Sino in off grid, right? Which then gives your enemy a time to warp to you. Uh, time to put up interdiction bubbles to drag you off so there's a, a lot of new nuance that comes with uh, capital fights and it kind of gives the advantage to the defender a little bit or they rather the person who gets on grid first which kind of goes back to the old old days of eve online where it was oh this timer is in four hours better form now and get in the system to make sure no one can get in i mean it's quite frustrating because um the way that Sinos for capital ships work and the way that Sinos for a Titan bridge work for subcaps, for example, are not the same. So when you light a Sino, if you, if, at the moment, if you light a Sino now with a rapier, for example, on grid and you want to drop dreads, as long as your dreads hit the jump to X button, they will land where the Sino was. So it's kind of okay. It's not ideal, but it's kind of okay. Um... However, if you warp, for example, a rapier into a subcap flight, uh, subcap fight, sorry, um, which at the moment, to make things even worse, is usually eagles or munins, things that have huge range and can insta-blap your recon. Uh, when you light a Sino and you bridge somebody, uh, if the Sino dies before they load grid, they will load somewhere else in system, which is terrible for the couple of people who <laughs> load before uh, before the Sino dies. Uh, so you'll get 20 people get murdered by the hostile fleets. And then, uh, you know, the other 100 people wait to get a warp in so you can get on grid. It's just completely messy. Um, so I don't know, like before you could warp in like a devoter or something and it would survive usually long enough to get your uh, fleet, subcap fleet on grid. But uh, not anymore. So you have to change tactics when when doing that now as well, which makes things even more complicated. Well, I I think that you know change was needed, and so uh, I'm not kind of thinking that this is some terrible thing that we have to adjust our tactics and all this kind of stuff. I think the as they would say, the proof is going to be in the pudding. Is that after we've let this thing run for several months to be able to start doing some analytics both on the CCP side and 
I'm sure there's some players that are going to kind of try and generate, like, are we having more or less capital fights? Like, is this causing more destruction in EVE, which is the goal? Or is it causing less destruction? Are there less fights because of these changes? And I think it takes time for the meta to generate about how do you use the new Sinos as opposed to the old Sinos. But I think that that will really kind of tell the story is, um, was this change having the intended effect of more carnage, which I think most of us would like to see more carnage in EVE. Um, but um, I, I think it's too early to tell exactly whether that's happening unless someone's already done the math. I feel like removing Sinos from capital ships across the board, like Titans, Rorquals, everything like that, was a great change. Um, I think removing them from every subcap except Black Ops and Recons is a mistake that they should probably look at adding them back again to something like, uh, especially Hicks. Whereas, like, I mean, everyone loves when Titans die, right? Um, so if you tackle somebody, you know, with a hick, you should be able to light a Sino on them to bring uh, to bring people in to kill whatever you've tackled. But, I mean, limiting the Sinos down so that you, you know you're not going to get blobbed unless you see certain ships on grid is good, but it's too limited at the moment. If they, Again, if they could find some balance in between uh, fitting Sinos on more subcaps but not fitting them on capitals, I think that's probably a sweet spot. I, I think at, as it is at the moment, in my own opinion, Again, it's it's too harsh. It's a bit like blackout. They need to uh, they need to tweak it a little bit. Just to define for new players, though, Hick when he says that is heavy interdiction cruiser, and it's a it's a much more durable ship than the force recons that were that have the Sinos now. Go ahead, Elise. I was going to say the uh, the good thing is that uh, we do now have a team called Team Talos that uh, is kind of working on. Uh, iteration and then kind of making quick changes to the game, quick balance changes to the game uh, where it's kind of deemed necessary. Um, that was introduced at uh, E Vegas, I believe. Uh, the first update yeah. was Howling Interceptors, where they just tweak inter combat interceptors uh, and made them <laughs> uh, worth flying again. And, you know, they, they've made a, a slew of other changes. I'm sure you're, uh, you've, you've kind of gotten to bathe in the tears of. Uh, your your patriot there, Pando, as uh, he got the the Bush fleet kind of nerfed really really hard. Uh, you guys had made that fleet just look way too dominant, um, and then when everyone tried to copy it, they failed horribly. <laughs> but you know the the entire Bush meta has been nerfed as a result of like one of the Team Talos changes. I think the Bush changes are were interesting because. Um, they were strong in certain situations, but um, I guess it's really, um, how do you say this? If you were on the receiving end of a Stuka fleet or a Bush fleet, uh, you were in for a bad time. But if you were, uh, if you were the ones flying it, uh, then it was great because it was finally a doctrine that could get in under a super umbrella and do some damage, not just run away at the first sign of a Sino. Um, and unfortunately, Eve doesn't have any of those doctrines at the, moment, at the moment. Like if you come into Fountain, if you go into Delve, if you go into Geminid, as soon as you tackle a Rorqual, and if you're in anything uh, bigger than a, than a slippery frigate, you're in for a bad time because they will get stuff on grid, they will trap you in system, and then you're going to stay logged off there for hours. Whereas because of the Bush fleet, you had the option to engage and disengage. 
Um, and it wasn't all that strong against subcaps. If if somebody like Fraternity, for example, and actually, uh, what's that new alliance, Army of Mangoes? They uh, they knew how to fly against Stukas. So once you knew how to fly against the Bush fleet, you could deal with it. Um, like uh, whenever Fraternity Rorquals were tackled or whenever um, uh, Mango t- uh, Rorquals got tackled, they would bridge in Munins and they would orbit their anchor at 30, 40 kilometers. So even if you bombed their anchor, only a few ships would die. Meanwhile, it, they only had to kill, what, five, ten of your uh, of your ships, the, the booshing ships, uh, Storks and Bifrosts, and that was your fleet completely neutered. So it was sometimes it was super powerful. A lot of the times it wasn't all that powerful, but it did allow... Um, it did allow groups to get in under super cap umbrellas, which I think is, you know, even speaking from a super cap umbrella point of view, it, it's uh, it's something that Eve needs a lot more of to uh, to make it interesting. I will say that some of the best uh, listening this year has been Pando talking about the Bush nerf and um, explaining to everyone how easy it was to counter uh, Stuka fleets as long as you had the exact perfect hard counter and you had Titans ready to go and you had Sinos ready to go and everything lined up as long as you had all of that ready to go in every location in Eve Stukas aren't a problem at all and uh, so that was quite enjoyable for me to hear how easy it was to counter Stukas flown by init uh, it was delicious well there's countering Stukas and then there's countering init Stukas right so it's like a <laughs> two uh, like two different uh, scenarios I think it to be fair, it's it's very specifically Pando, uh, who I see in chat at the moment. He was just insane when he flew those things. Like I used to fly them uh when he would need it, but it was nowhere near on the same level. It it was his baby. He grew it, he uh he worked with it and I mean I, I understand what you're saying, Dunk, about like having you you had to you did have to meet a certain amount of criteria to counter a Stuka fleet. But you didn't have to have Titans. If you bridged in a Munin fleet, all you, all you had to do to counter a Stuka fleet was kill the uh, Magus. Uh, or not the Magus, sorry, the um, Storks and Bifrost. And that's exceptionally easy to do with Munins and Eagles. That, that's it. That's it. Because, because, the, because the, the Stuka Goku fleet uh, FC definitely won't try and protect those ships and keep them out of harm's way by jumping 100 uh, kilometers every time they want. So, I, look... I, 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 I think it's a good content generator. I hope we kind of adjust the, the boosh thing a little bit. But um, I just think that the deliciousness of hearing the 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 Stuka Goku fleet FCs talk about it and the amount of tears that came out of them was for once just startlingly good to have it be on the aggressor side as opposed to the Rorqual pilot defensor side. If you were never on the receiving end of these fleets, uh, Shark, why don't you just give us a, a quick like... Uh, explain like I'm five of what a, a Stuka fleet is. A Stuka fleet was um, you have these ships in Eve called uh, command destroyers, and a command destroyer can fit a micro jump field. Uh, this is pre change, so they can fit a micro jump field, which will allow you to take every ship around you uh, within, a, I think it's a six kilometer radius. Uh, 100 kilometers uh, in whichever direction your ship is pointing at the time. And basically, the the idea was that um, uh, the idea, sorry, the idea was that you would have 10 or 12 of these ships. 
they would anchor up. So they would uh, the fleet would all stay within a six-kilometer ball of each other on their anchor. And it would allow you to um, be extremely mobile on the uh, on the battlefield, uh, you know, getting from one point to another within 100 kilometers of each other. Um, it allowed a lot of it's it's a much more fluid kind of, um, I guess, fighting style, if you want to use that term. It's much more fluid because uh, that sorry, it's much more fluid than warping around different spots on grid. Because when you warp around uh, a grid, it interrupts uh, things like anchoring, you lose lock, uh, all these different things. When you boosh around, none of that happened. It was uh, it just ran a lot smoother. And um, yeah, it basically you could uh, you could move around 100 kilometers in any direction multiple times, and uh, you could bomb people because uh, part of the main. Uh, damage was were stealth bombers tanked after burning stealth bombers uh so you had torpedoes but you also had bombs and then you also had a kind of defensive style ship in uh we used retributions um and also kiki kiki Moors, yeah uh which were turret based ships uh that would shoot out to about 40 kilometers and allow you to um uh, defend things like fighters or uh, subcap um tackle and stuff coming in so it was a very versatile fleet um obviously its major weakness was the command destroyers as soon as you lost your command destroyers that was it game over uh, you had to leave because you couldn't do anything else um and that's basically a stuka fleet actually fun fact i don't know if you were uh i don't know if you were um at all part of the pl dreadbomb and fountain on my moloch at least i was not i was not okay well, PL uh, Headliner, I think, was the person, or at least he's the name I recognized uh, when PL dreadbombed uh, my Moloch last year. Uh, they also brought in a Naga fleet, which uh, I don't think many people realized. But Pando, uh, these Stuka fleets weren't around at the time. Pando had uh, some afterburning bombers with, uh, it was like the first iteration, I guess, of the Stuka fleet. The Nagas landed on grid and instantly died. So. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about how that would happen. So that was the uh, that was the very first. I, I think Pando, Pando, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think that's what he likes to refer to as the very first Stuka fleet. That's a, a good combination of low signature, high damage, high burst damage, and insanely high maneuverability. So you can just move yourself around the battlefield, uh, and are uh, are at very very reasonable cost compared to the targets you can hit with them. McLeod was showing a video of uh, of an initiative taking down some some pretty big ships with uh, with some Stugas. So you know they they can pack a walloping, especially under the right FC. Uh, it, it I'd say it has probably at the time it had the the highest skull cap of any uh, fleet doctrine in the game. So it was one of those fun things. But it got it got nerfed down a little bit. We'll see if well more than a little bit. Uh, the MJD Team Talos themed was too strong. So they lowered it to what twenty five people. It'll just take twenty five people randomly from your fleet with you. Twenty five people, yeah. Exactly. So instead of infinite people that are within the range, which is like five kilometers, it just takes twenty five. So if you have more than that, the other guys get left behind and uh, they die and cry. So still for like uh, small gangs or pico gangs, it'll still work. Uh, but yeah, so that that's kind of uh, one of the interesting things we get to see Team Talos who makes changes like that. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the year, as we have to wrap up, uh, we see kind of the end of 
the the ongoing fighting between fraternity uh, and legacy. You know, the, those two groups which had been fighting seemingly forever. Like, uh, I, it just seemed like these guys were always at, at the at the. Yeah, at, at the complete uh, exclusion of all Eve media to, to, to in the whole year of, oh, everything is stagnant, uh, here are two major coalitions fighting every single day in subcaps, capitals, Komodos are dying, Titans are dying, Dread Bombs are dying. This stuff is happening for six goddamn months, and everyone's like, oh, nothing's happening in Eve. Well, what happened up in Tribute with some, like, whatever – there's a goddamn six-month blood fest going on, the payback for the Meteor Coalition last year trying to kill Legacy. And it's happening the whole time, and everyone's like, yeah, nothing's happening in Eve. I don't know what the hell is going on. And meanwhile, two coalitions are slamming against each other in every time zone, every day, for six months. And in the notes for Talking in Stations, it's literally one bullet point out of this whole two-page document. That's how much Eve Media cares about the Southern War, right? Now, they're going to try and put stuff on screen to convince you that this is not an issue. But I tell you, it is an issue that these were a major slugfest that didn't even get a goddamn name because everyone was ignoring it because someone up in Venal had an astrohoos. Like, come on. It was a huge fight. There was a lot of good fights on each side. Trillions of this got blown up. Uh, FCs were made. Uh, it was all over the place. New tactics were tried. It was an awesome war that went on and on and on and showed that you can still fight a war even under all these conditions. And uh, that's my rant. This war endured through blackout, through the VNI changes, through the Sino changes, through the Sino Jammer changes. Like all of this happened during the war uh, that was going on all the time, uh, as, as Dunk was saying. Luckily, we at Talking in Stations had Ron who anytime we said, oh, there's not really too much going on, he'd just chime in and give a an impassioned Dunk-style uh, motivational speech to let us know, oh, no, no, uh, Test and Leg- or Legacy Coalition and Winterco are still going at it uh, time and time again. And this was pretty much, uh, as Dunk was saying, if, if you just played EVE on Reddit or you just stay in your little bubble, you didn't pay any attention to this because it didn't have flashy cool names which dunk i blame you 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 have to come up with a name for a war everyone knows this you have to, it's your responsibility as the uh as the aggressor to come up with a hip and cool war uh hip and cool name for the war so that that part's on you but yeah uh this thing had been going on just forever and it finally ended uh when winter coalition were just like oh, we we can't do this like the 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 legacy is no, just no, too no, much. No, look, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that simple, right? It was uh, the the war basically ended as we were starting to chew through the Sino Jammer Wall, and um, there were lots of good fights over that. There was wins, losses, all that kind of stuff, and it came down to literally uh, a main staging Keepstar got reinforced on a lucky day, and it created an opportunity for a major capital, major sub super capital fight over to kill this Keepstar that was the main staging system for Winter Coalition. And so Winter Coalition rallied everything they had for this. They, this was their line in the sand. This was going to be their ULAX. And they did. They showed up with 200 Titans on grid with more reserves ready to go to throw into this fight. And Legacy uh, basically stood down from taking that fight, but saw an opportunity to use that while Winter Co. is 
pinned down to defend their Keepstar and reinforced, I think, 15 critical iHubs in Deteroid and set up all these timers, which became an indefensible situation to defend 15 iHubs down the road. And it was after that point that the Winterco leadership said, we really can't defend against this anymore. It's better to get a strategic retreat rather than to, to try and lose battle after battle against the situation. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an event that caused the end of this war. What it didn't just peter out. And for Winterco to be seen as they got outnumbered, if you think having 200 Titans alone on field is being outnumbered, that's just ridiculous. Like this was a strategic uh, play that happened and a strategic decision to back out and not lose all 200 Titans. So again, Matterall is just uh, pinging me relentlessly on Discord that he did cover this. He didn't cover this to the degree it should have been covered. This was a major war in EVE. It deserves a good goddamn name. I am tired of talking about BTAC-R. I'm tired of talking about things that happened five years ago. This year, shit went down, and it didn't get reported. We didn't even get a fucking name for our war. It should be the ignored war. It should be the mystery war. I like ignore war, actually. Uh, I think ignore war, he's got a good, uh, it's got a good cadence to it. Uh, it kind of rolls off the tongue, and uh, I think that's what we should call it from now. Let's, Let's get the press. Let's talk to these Eve Media people, whoever they are, and get them to, to publish some stories about the Ignore War. Was it a real war, though? Because it was always going to end one way. Shines is trying to give uh, Shines is trying to give Dunk like a small coronary for for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I, I, my blood pressure thing is in the other room. I'll go get that if you want. Oh. I just want to point out for the listeners that. Dunk Dinkle, in addition to being a member of the Legacy Coalition and everything, because he sits on the Council of Stellar Management, he is under a non-disclosure agreement and can only talk about certain things. And he has been expertly navigating that uh, all day, all the whole show, which I will point out is a little bit easier because we're doing a retrospective on what happened this year. So anything that's happened publicly, he can talk about. It uh, makes his job a little bit easier. But anything that hasn't happened in the future, he has to be careful because he can only talk about things that is publicly known and announced. But he's done a great job on this. But I'd like to ask him for a moment to say a few words about what happened this year on this Council of Stellar Management. Can you, can you, what can you tell us? Uh, what can you actually say? Uh, well... Uh, using my calm voice, uh, I would say that this has been, uh, uh, the word I have chosen to use is a tumultuous year uh, for being on the CSM, because as we, uh, CSM 14, especially the new members, they came in uh, as the chaos era had already swung into effect. And so it was trying to catch up with not just understanding the way CCP worked internally, what the hell is going on with all this chaos changes? What's the plan? All that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, CCP very publicly is saying they want to reinvent themselves, not just in how the game is played, how the economy works, but how they make decisions uh, as a company about what should go into the game. Um, and so it was a very tumultuous time. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the show, a lot of focus on the core parts of EVE that aren't really the ship design parts, but are the why are people fighting? What are they fighting over? How do we bring new players into the game? How do we hold on to them for more than 90 days? A lot of that stuff, a lot of the back end, like how do we rebuild the back end of EVE so that we don't have as many problems as we've had in the past. So there's a, a lot of that going on at the same time 
while CSM members are getting pinged about like, why can't there be five more power grid on the Hyperion or make the Nighthawk uh, rule the skies again? Like, so it's this, it's a very difficult time to kind of keep a focus uh, on what CCP needs to hear from the CSM. And some of the new CSM, as you were bringing it up, uh, there are some huge names, right? There's you, uh, obviously, the biggest name of all. Uh, there's Gobbin, the leader of Pandemic Horde. There's Vili, uh, a major FC for uh, the Legacy Coalition and Test Alliance, who's been around forever, like a storied name. Uh, Ixuki, uh, like one of the first wormhole candidates to get on there in a long time. Uh, and Omeka, who made it on there as well. O- Omeka, the, the original Gargoon. He's actually a super good guy to, to have a conversation with about Eve. It's, it's super interesting to get his insights. Like you guys are are huge names into the the CSM. How was it interacting with kind of the the other established people in the CSM and learning the ropes? Um, well, I'm very lucky that I had kind of known most of the people in person before this because of going to so many Eve real life events and and things like that. But there were a lot of um, people that had uh, strong opinions about what was going to happen at CSM, uh, the new members, the old members, and all that kind of stuff. And I was very happy at the uh, first summit. Everyone kind of said, hey, you know, we're all in this together. We all have common goal of wanting more people, more fun and need more explosions, that kind of stuff. And I think the penultimate moment for me was um, seeing Aerith hug- hugging Olmeca uh, as we're getting ready to leave at the end of the end of the summit. Um, because, you know, going into it, they both had very different uh, opinions of each other and their take on Eve before we got there. And then after we hung out for a week and kind of uh, chatted with things. So I think that the, the group cohesed a little bit um, being in person than we hadn't been before we were in person. So um, I, I think it was a good thing. I think that the face-to-face meeting of CSM members is very powerful. Yeah, and uh, I can speak from, I was on the CSM 6 and 7, uh, which had a lot of like gur gur like enemies on each other at the same time, um, and the the meetings people were like super helpful, super nice to one another, super respectful. They we all had the same goal, right, which was to improve the game uh, without trying to get an advantage necessarily for like our groups. Uh, it has never been about doing that. So I'm glad to see nothing has changed on that front, and that it's still a, a friendly atmosphere where. Just passionate Eve players trying to to kind of impart their their knowledge and make a difference. So going back to what happened uh, with players in in as the war was I'm sorry as the year was coming to a close uh, after the legacy uh, after the uh, unknown war what were we calling it the forgotten war the forgotten war after the forgotten war I forgot the name already. Uh, ended. <laughs> you guys had like a short break, and then you declared war again. What was that? Was like a, sh- a pretty short break. I thought. I, I, th- I thought if the Imperium were doing this, you guys would have had like six months off at least. But uh, but no no no. Who, who did we declare war. war on? Well, let's back up for a little bit. First, Pan, Pan Fam uh, came into Tinol and attacked the dead coalition for some, to what seemed to me like for something to do, you know, something to, uh, for uh, to just to have some interesting uh, war activity in their Eve gameplay mix. Is that a fair, Elise? 
Yeah, I'd say so. And I have no insight into the goings-on and the decision-making for any of this. But my view was they looked at tributes, like Panfam looked at tribute, and they're like, man, these guys seem to be having a lot of fun. I don't want to mess with that. Let's go mess with sort because that's always fun. Like I think that's that's how it went uh, that way. And they, I think they all, deep down, I think they're all trying to secretly woo Trigger Happy uh, to be like on their cause. And Kendar is like perfectly organizing this where he's like not trying to take a side. He's just sitting where he is, managing it perfectly. And so his his little group doesn't, or his big group now doesn't get caught up in any things he doesn't want it to be caught up in. But yeah, so the TLDR is, yeah, they, they just see sword. They're like, ah, easy picking. Let's let's go fight these guys. Let's just get some content for the winter. Shoot some people that we're uh, acquainted with. Uh, we don't have to travel very far. Uh, I don't think there's any vitriol in it. It's just a matter of, okay, they're close. Targets of opportunity. So then with no insider information, it looked to me like the Dead Coalition then hired the initiative to come in and help bolster their side against uh, NC Dot and uh, the PanFam folks? Is that, is that true? I'm just guessing. Dark, can you talk to him? Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm not going to use the word hire because there was no uh, monetary transactions or anything of the sort. Basically what happened was Sword Dragon sent me a D-scan in EU Prime, I think of 20 Titans hitting a Keepstar. And initiative is an EU alliance. Uh, our US is very small. Our AU is even smaller. But our EU is quite big. And uh, Darkness and Ranger Regiment and Deco, uh, they don't really have an EU time zone uh, presence. They have a small presence, but it's not nothing big. Their main presence is uh, uh, AU and RU time zones. So uh, again, from what I went back to said earlier, we've been sitting in Fountain for a long time. Drama levels were rising again. Everyone was super bored. And if somebody is using 20 Titans to reinforce hostile keep stars in, uh, in our prime time, and specifically because it's NC Dot, who initiative have a lot of blood, uh, bad blood with, uh, we just said, you know what, let's take the opportunity. Uh, we spoke to Deadco. We asked if we could stage in their keep stars. Um, they said yes, and we moved. Um, we moved everything, all our supers and titans, back up to Tinal, uh, just to try and get some content out of NC. But no, hiring, hiring is not the uh, word I choose. Okay, okay. But it's a good situation for initiative, right? Because you get. Uh, content fed directly to you. You don't really have to worry about defending anything because they're timing everything for Australian time zone and uh, the Ranger Regiment and, and Darkness people can can save that. So you just get timers that you can get to show up to and, and shoot people, right? Yeah, definitely. That's not what happened at all. Uh, what actually happened was um, Deadco uh, at the same time moved their super fleet and their main alliances into the same system we did um a couple of uh, actually the day before initiative moved up and um kind of there had been this steady uh push from pamfam from cobalt edge into tenal which is this massive regional jump uh, between cobalt edge and tenal so they got a foothold into tenal uh, and they started pushing from the uh northeast down basically through Tinal. And when we deployed uh into um 
into sorry we deployed a branch not team apologies uh all that stopped the the 20 titans refing keep stars in eu time zone it all stopped uh which was great uh, unfortunately what then happened was nc dot very kindly exposed a weakness that we have that we didn't really consider at the time which was uh going behind us and reinforcing every goddamn ihub that we have in cloud ring for jump bridges to the north which was uh basically what it meant was we had parked our super fleet in the north they couldn't make any progress so they would come back down to uh to the west down to fountain and uh hit all of our stuff in cloud ring and fountain so it meant that uh realistically our supers were parked in the north preventing them from doing anything and their subcaps were taking wormholes down into the west and creating timers for us preventing us from doing anything in the north so it turned into a bit of a stalemate unfortunately we did get one or two good fights. I think we won uh, one major I hope fight, and then we lost uh, another fight. Um, so there was a little bit of fighting, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't anything major, unfortunately. All the best laid plans. And I see Pando saying in chat that uh, Eve London, which was the last stop of the uh, invasion tour, also kind of got in the way because uh, a lot of people went to, to that event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was just a combination of things. But then, uh, like, this was all in the lead up to Christmas and kind of when I'd been speaking to Pando and Sister Bliss about what we would be doing, uh, we kind of had put, like, a couple of weeks to maybe anywhere from three to six weeks kind of timer on the deployment, which would have brought us up to Christmas. So kind of as soon as Christmas was uh, was about to hit, um, we made the decision to pull everything back because we didn't want to... Um, Basically, we didn't want our Supers and Titans stuck in a, uh, yes, it was friendly, but uh, they weren't our keep stars, basically, um, for Christmas. So if anything had gone wrong, it would have been just a massive headache uh, trying to fix it all when we came back after Christmas. So we made the decision to pull our Supers and Titans back to Fountain. Uh, and then Test piped up out of nowhere and announced that they were declaring war uh, through Reddit, which was interesting. So it's, there was a, apparently a, a CSM meeting at one point and a disagreement, you can't, don't say anything, Dunk, and a disagreement between a couple of members there and they felt uh, strongly enough about it that Vili declared war on Sword Dragon and sort of brought, you know, Test Alliance Please Ignore along with him on, on his war. And I don't, oh, there, that's funny. If you, for, if you're... Uh, um, not able to see the camera because you're listening to the podcast, Mr. Dunk Dinkle has just placed a piece of tape over his lips uh, to prevent himself from saying anything that he shouldn't be saying right now. Anyway, it's very funny. But uh, so then, you know, Test, who just finished the war not very long ago, uh, has now chosen to engage all the way across on the opposite side of the universe. Um, against Sword Dragon, which kind of puts him in some ways uh, on the same side as NC Dot and PanFam by de-, de facto, and therefore kind of puts him against the initiative. And then because the initiative are the brothers of the Imperium, and it, this throws the Imperium then uh, as a whole into a whole question of, all right, uh, what are we doing here in this complicated plate of spaghetti? And uh, I, I, I don't even know. Maybe Vili brought the whole legacy coalition 
and not just test alliance with him on this thing. But Doug probably can't say anything. It's a, it's a whole bag of worms, right? This is test being test. And, uh, you know, Brave and the rest of Legacy aren't officially uh, at war. We're always happy to go join fights, and you might see people on kill, you know, kill mails and stuff like that. But I don't believe this is a Legacy uh, sponsored event. But I have to go soon. That was Mrs. Dinkle telling me it's time to get off the phone. Understood. Understood. Well, we need to wind down anyway. There, there was a surprise uh, debut of the Hypernet relay system which kind of brings back some of the feeling of Summer Blink, if you remember those, that old-time uh, fun little semi-gambling thing. And then there was a surprise holiday gift of teleporting filaments that would let you take uh, up to, I think, max, t- depending on the filament, up to 25 with you on a little fleet, and it would teleport you to a random null-sec uh, location uh, to enjoy the view and or shoot the locals. Yeah, it's sort of a, to me, it seemed like an iteration on, and we talked to the community guys about it last week, it seemed like an iteration on kind of Blackout, where they get the the same idea, which is like more chaos into NLSEC systems, but uh, without going full full ham on re- removing all the information. So you can, uh, Capsuleers have gotten a, a name for this, uh, these filaments. Uh, they've, they've nicknamed them Yeet Fleets, so you can yeet your fleet. Uh, to an area of Nelsec that you don't know, and uh, you can just kill people there, and then you're done. So it's, it's a pretty quick way to, and by done, I mean you usually end up horribly dead at the end, but you get some kills in the process, so it's a lot of fun. So yeah, let's. Dark, can you say something about Pando's uh, uh, streams by any chance in his podcast that we're releasing on the network here at Talking Stations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Pando Pandarelka from Initiative, we've, I think he's in chat and we've mentioned him a couple of times yes. already. Uh, he uh, has his own uh, Twitch channel and he does the podcasts as well uh, with you guys. Uh, he does a lot of small gang fleets, especially with the filaments, uh, and they're quite fun to watch and it's always interesting what's going to happen. So um, his name on Twitch is Zepando, Z-E-H-P-A-N-D-O, if uh, anyone wants to check him out. All right, thank you for your time. Thank you, Dunk Tinkle from Brave. Uh, thank you, Dark Shines from The Initiative. We're out of time. Uh, uh, we will see you. Our next show is Sunday, January 5th, 2020. So join us next year for Talking in Stations. Mm-hmm.